I'm in your midst and you're acting that way it's going to go really bad for you I'm looking out for you and when you think about this reality that if God is with us we might be consumed you start to take the finished work of Jesus Christ you start to really thank him for it because God is saying look I should consume you in my perfections because you are so flawed but you know I'm going to send my son to live the life you couldn't live to die the death to be consumed for you so that you may forever live in my presence Soft hearts are a rarity when God isn't present. The vast number of people in need is overwhelming, and it's easy to suppress compassion and just focus on ourselves. But as Pastor Daniel will explain, God isn't present just for good times. He loves us through the darkness and desires for us to take on that part of His character, too. So we can be there for others because they're in our hearts. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Presence of the Lord. Exodus chapter 33. As we continue our study through the book of Exodus in the last series that we're doing here in the book of Exodus called Tabernacle. So we're winding down the book of Exodus. Remember, we are in this kind of interlude part of the book at towards the end because we had all of these chapters where we heard all the different pieces of furniture and the tent and the way God wanted everything designed. And then all of a sudden you pull out because what happens is, is the children of Israel go back to their Egyptian ways. Although they've left Egypt and God has done tremendous things, they still have grooves in their heart, grooves in the way that they live their lives that's so easy to fall back to. And they found themselves, they didn't know what happened to Moses, they wanted a God who they could hold, who they could touch, they wanted an idol. And Aaron gave in to their request, he had them take off their earrings and he fashioned it into a golden calf. And remember I made the case a few weeks ago that in a lot of ways it's easy to read it in the Bible and say, oh that's just so naughty and you should never do that. But if you look at your own life, we're all that way, aren't we? Where there's, because of the mistakes that we've made, the world that we live in, the issues that we have, certain grooves in our heart get into a certain way. So maybe you, at some point in your life you, you developed a lot of anger. And you do a whole lot of work and God does these amazing things and all of a sudden you find yourself back there again. You know, because even though you took the children of Israel out of Egypt, they still had Egypt in their hearts. And God, and if you read the whole of the Bible, God is continually doing that work in all of us. And that's why... We are so grateful for the grace of God, aren't we? We're so grateful for who Jesus is because Jesus doesn't say that, listen, you got to be perfect and then I'll accept you. He said, listen, you're not perfect and you know it and so do I and I love you and I'm doing a work in your life. And for each one of us, you could, I mean, look at someone like King David. And King David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he was God's man on the scene and you read in, in the Bible, he ends up committing adultery, ends up being a part in, in, in someone being murdered. All sorts of things go on. And he still loves the Lord, but he's fatally flawed. And David is never going to get into heaven based on his good works because he didn't have them. He's going to get in by the sheer grace of God. 
because of the finished work of Jesus. And that's the same for you and me. There's no perfect people in the Bible except for Jesus. There's no perfect people in church. There's only forgiven people. And so we find ourselves in the very place of the children of Israel, all of us. We all struggle with sin. But for us as Christians, we don't say, hey, I'm, I'm a sinner who loves God. We say, look, I'm beloved of God and I'm still growing. That's the way we see ourselves in Christ. And so we pick up here now in chapter 33. And look at what happens in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. In verse 2. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now, now we have the command again to leave Sinai. Okay? Depart from here. Depart. It's time for you and the children of Israel to go. And I want you to go to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, we say this a lot as we're studying the Old Testament because I'm always looking as a teacher and as a student of Scripture, I'm always looking for the themes that are in the Bible. What, what are we learning? What's the big meta-narrative? That's what scholars call it. What is the overarching storyline of the Bible? And what you find from Genesis to Revelation, that one of the overarching themes, the meta-narrative, is God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and the land. And beginning in the book of Genesis, when God, I mean, in, in creation, but then, of course, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's saying, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to bring you into a land. I'm going to give you a place during your pilgrimage here on earth that you're going to call your own. And right here in verse 1, you get it. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go from here, you and the people. Right? So the Lord is speaking, God. He's saying, I want you to depart from the land. And he says, I'm, I want you to go into the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wants to fulfill his covenantal promise that he made. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to give you a place to call your own. I'm going to make you more numerous than the stars of the sky. And I'm going to give you a place. And I want you to go take that land. Right? So it, it seems very simple. Notice in verse 2, it says, And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. He's like, look, I'm going to send one of my angels, my messengers, before you. He's going to protect you. He's going to lead the way for you, and we're going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. So you realize that this land that has been promised to the children of Israel was already occupied by other people. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and God told Abraham that in 420 years, I'm going to deliver your people when the, when the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorites had come to pass. 
So part of the children of Israel coming in in this land was also God's judgment on a group of people who were rebellious against God. So he's saying, look, my angel's going to go before you, the inhabitants of the land I'm going to drive out. But in verse 3, there's a change. Notice what it says. It says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Up until that point, everything's good. God's covenant, God's going to drive out the people. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, remember, this was a time long before there were supermarkets. Milk and honey were delicacies. They were treats. So I don't know what your idea of delicacy is. Everyone has different ones. You know, if you were a foodie, maybe it would be uh, frog legs and caviar. That sounds totally gross to me. For me, it's more like Twinkies and pizza from New York. You know, that's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's like this place has got it going on because milk means that there's great amount of area for pasture for these cows to be able to be nourished. Honey means that the bees, it's a beautiful, gorgeous place. The bees have all the, the room and the materials to do all the work that you do. So this is a great place. This isn't like, listen, I'm going to give you the worst lot. It's not what he's saying. He's, I'm going to give you the best. You're going to go up into this land. But verse 3, there's a change. God's saying, I'm not going to go up with you. Why? Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. See, God's saying, because of what just happened, and because you guys are not walking solid with me, if I go up with you, my holiness might devour you. Now, I want to make a point about this because... We live in a day and age where in the church we've gotten so cozy with the idea of God that it's kind of like the whole Jesus is my homeboy. If you guys have seen that, it's like my buddy Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. And don't get me wrong, he is a friend. But our God is a holy God. And God's holiness is part of his attributes. And we don't want to be so casual with God that we forget that he is a holy, distinct other God, and that in his perfections, our imperfections are an affront to him. And for the children of Israel, God's like, look, if I'm in your midst and you're acting that way, it's going to go really bad for you. I'm looking out for you. And when you think about this reality that if God is with us, we might be consumed, you start to take the finished work of Jesus Christ. You start to really thank him for it because God is saying, look, I should consume you in my perfections because you are so flawed. But you know, I'm going to send my son to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death, to be consumed for you so that you may forever live in my presence. See, Jesus in his perfections allow us to come into a true, deep, perfect relationship with God. And we are not consumed because of who Jesus is. But I think the reason we can see sin proliferating in the midst of the people of God. And we've talked about it on Sunday as we're going through the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The reason sin proliferates amongst the people of God is because we don't realize how holy God is. And as we realize how holy He is, we say, Lord, I want to be holy as you are. The theme of the book of Leviticus is be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Jesus said be perfect as the Lord your God is perfect. And so when we realize how distinct he is and we say, Lord, I want to be like you and he starts to change us and conform us, we become holy like he is. We understand who we are the way God sees us. 
So God is looking out for the children of Israel. He's like, look, I know you guys are a stubborn bunch. So if I'm with you, you might get consumed by me. So he's looking out for them. Now, look at what happens. The children of Israel, they hear this, and right away, they mourned. And no one put on their ornaments. Now, put this into context. In chapter 32, when they were worshiping the golden calf, it was just party time. Revelry, drunkenness, fun. Now, the true and living biblical God shows up in their mourning. Does that strike you as strange? Don't you think it should be the other way around? I mean, wouldn't you think that with the true and living God, it's joy, 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 a blast. And when it's with the idols, it's no fun. But I think it's, this is an important point because the problem with Exodus chapter 32 was that their fun was destructive. And the Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. The Bible doesn't say, oh, it's all bad. You're going to have no fun. No, it is fun for a little bit until you, it kills you. And anybody who's walked down any sorts of roads, you realize that. That sin is pleasurable for a time. And when you're involved in the pleasure of sin and the holy God of the Bible shows up, there is a brokenness. But we do not want to equate, as followers of Jesus, we do not want to equate what seems to be fun with the things of God. There's a difference. There's a lot of things that seem to be fun, but in the end, it's destruction. See, God loves you and me enough and the children of Israel to break their hearts. Because the joy of a Christian is a brokenhearted joy. True fellowship with God is not just like a celebration all the time. When you look at the world that we live in, when you look at our, the dispositions of our hearts, the things that we struggle with, when we look at all of the ills of the world, that should break our hearts. When you hear of death and people hurt and people in bad situations and people with chronic physical illness and people who've had their upbringings have just really messed up their lives. That should break our hearts. And God wants us to have truly soft hearts. Because we live in an entertainment culture, we don't value mourning the way we probably should. How many times have you left the presence of God because God did something you didn't like? Right? You're like, oh, if it's going to be, I mean, if it's going to be this way, why would I want to follow Jesus? But don't mistake God's blessing in mourning. Because you know what the Psalms say? It says, though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. There's a part of our lives that need to be brokenhearted. There's part of who we are as followers of Jesus that need to say, God, I want you to break my heart. I, I want my heart to break at my own struggles, at the struggles of the people around me, at the ills of this world, the things that, Lord, you want to fix, that you're dreaming of raising up your people to fix. It's just such a strange contrast. In 32, they're partying, having a blast. Chapter 33, God shows up and they're mourning. And then they don't put on their ornaments. They have to realize that in that culture, in that Near Eastern culture, that when people were in mourning, there was always some sort of an outward observance. So in the Bible, you things like sackcloth and ashes. Now you got to realize sackcloth and ashes was not putting on like your Sunday best. It was clothing that was symbolic of mourning. Sackcloth was very uncomfortable. Ashes, literally, they'd rub dirt on their head. 
And they're saying, I am as low as the dirt in mourning. So by them not putting on their ornaments, now, don't miss the reality that that golden calf was made with golden earrings. So they're saying, look, I'm going to have an outward observance, an outward display of what's going on in my heart. I'm not going to get done up. It'd be like a woman on her wedding day wears one thing and a woman at her husband's funeral wears another thing. Now, imagine if a woman at her husband's funeral wore what she wore on the wedding day. Someone would be like, we need to have an intervention, right? Like, that's just not appropriate for this situation. And that's exactly by taking off their ornaments, by not getting dressed the way they know. They're saying, look, I'm showing you outwardly what's going on inwardly. My heart is broken because God's saying he's not going to come with us. And look what it says in verse 5. It says, for the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. He's like, look, see, this is why in Hebrews it says it's, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, it's amazing. That's in the New Testament. Because God's saying, look, if I come up in your midst because of your rebellion, I could consume you. Because our God is a consuming fire. He is God, almighty, all-powerful, and righteous, perfect, and holy. So the children of Israel, they take off their ornaments. Now look at what happens in verse 7. More consequences. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked to Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, because of what's gone on, before God was meeting with all the people, and now Moses literally takes his tent and separates himself from the people outside the camp, far away. See, Moses is showing that because of what's gone on, because of his concern for the people, he did not feel that God could meet with him in the midst of the people, so he separated himself. And I think it's an important application for us. Now, I want to make sure I, I place this in the right spot. The reason God has grabbed hold of your life is because he loves your friends and your coworkers enough to put his spirit in you so that you can help them come to know Jesus. Okay? But at the same time, there are certain circumstances where the only proper thing to do is complete separation. To pull you say, look, I need to, I cannot be involved in this. See, because the presence of God and the presence of rebellion, the two can't walk together. So we need to find, and I call it a sweet spot, because I never, when someone get, comes to know Christ, I never say, listen, you got to get rid of all your friends and only have church friends. I think that's terrible. 
That's not why God saved us. God says, look, I saved you, and I love all your friends, your family, your co-workers, and I don't want you to be like in a cult where it's like, I'm only with these people. You got saved so that those people would have a witness in their midst. Somebody who is God is working on. Somebody who's not perfect, but is like, look, God's doing a work in my life. So we have to be careful not to abandon all the people that God wants to reach. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're not in situations that are destructive as well. So there are some times where you have to say, look, I love you. I just can't hang with you right now. Because what you're doing is hindering my walk. And so Moses literally physically removes himself. This is before the tabernacle's even been built. So where God is meeting with Moses is Moses' own tent. And Moses is not staying with his tribe or with the people. He's in a completely different place outside. And notice what happens. I mean, it says far from the camp. When someone wanted to seek the Lord, they went out to the tabernacle of meeting. Whereas before God was right in the middle of them, now, God's outside, and they have to go out and find him. And that's one of the consequences of rebellion. And I think we need to talk about this, because, like I said, we all struggle with rebellion. Even right now, the person in here who's walking the strongest with Jesus still has a totally rebellious heart, in a million ways. And we're saved by sheer grace. But when we choose to act out on that rebellion in habitual action, of whatever sort it is, whether it's judgmentalism, whether it's lying, stealing, cheating, sexual immorality, drugs and alcohol, you name it, whatever it is, when we live a life of habitual rebellion, at some point when we want to spend time with God, we have to go find God. Not because he's gone, but because there's been a relational severing because of our rebellion. And so we've strayed away and we have to come back and find God. See, before the children of Israel, God was just in their midst. And now they have to go out to seek the Lord. And so we have to be careful with our own rebellion because it does have consequences. And I don't know how many times in my own life, as I've grown and struggled in life in the Lord, how many times, like those times I'm like, Lord, I just, I miss you. And the Lord's like, well, you're the one who's gone away. And it takes time to restore that relationship to what I remember it once was. Because things happen and, the, and those rebellions break us apart. We can't get snatched out of his hand. But there is an experiential difference. Not a positional difference, but an experiential difference. And I think that's what it is. See, when we're saved, we're, our position changes from guilty to not guilty. But as we're growing, we're being sanctified by faith. That's our experience side of it. Our experience of who God is. And that is what gets hairy when we start struggling with habitual sin. Is that now all of a sudden, yeah, our position is saying we're still saved. But our experience is radically different. And what's interesting is I know that each one of you know exactly what that's like, right? We've all been there. Where you, you know you love the Lord. You know Jesus is perfect. You know you're a sinner saved by grace. But your experience of the presence of God and the grace of God is so radically different. Jesus is real. Even in their rebellion, God wanted to protect the people. As Moses separated himself from the people in order to be in the presence of God, it was out of love for the Father and for them. If the people wanted to meet with God, they would have to go out and meet Him. 
Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will address the issue of skepticism and what to do about it. Not only that, but also how to disciple and how to bring others along in their own walk of faith. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. Until then, may God bless. My life is no tipping